here, right? Where we feel uncomfortable. Uh, this morning, I, I get to lead us in this conversation on the good news of Jesus through the eyes of Mark. And um, for the ones who don't know me, my name is Antonio Reyes, and I get to be part of the pastoral team in this community. And, and I have the privilege to, uh, to almost finish this conversation. We're almost done for the ones who like, do we have other conversations to have besides the gospel, Mark? Well, there's a lot more happening, but um, I, I, I get to almost finish this conversation. And today, uh, we're going to be talking about hosting the ordinary. You know, sometimes I feel like um, we, we live in a time where it's a complicated thing to host people. I think we're, I'm amazed by many people that are really good hosts. They're really good at hosting whatever they do. Whatever they do, they make me feel at home. They make me feel seen. They make me feel comfortable. I'm always, I always want to be around them. So today I want to talk to you about hosting the ordinary. And if you have your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to be in the, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 1. If you don't have it, we're going to have it here on the screens. I want to take you into a story that... Uh, for the ones who've been around church for a long time, you might heard this story several times, maybe in preachings. But I want to take a different angle to this story. My hope is that as we, as we continue this conversation in the next 15 to 20 minutes, my hope is that I can trigger something in you, a desire to host the ordinary. So Mark chapter 14 verse 1 says, this now the Passover of the festival on the eleventh breath were only two days away, and the chief priests of the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they say, or the people were may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, remember that name, a woman came with an alabaster jar of a very expensive perfume made of pure nar. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wage. The money given to the poor and they rebuke her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want but you will not always have me. She, she did what she could. She poured the perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, whatever the gospel is preached through the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. You know, I, I have a question for you. Have you ever been in a relationship or interacting with someone that you no, they only want something from you. Have you ever been there? Well, that's good. One person. I love it. Hey, look, I remember the first time I went to buy my first car. I went to CarMax. And I remember I was nervous to go to buy my first car because I didn't have a good credit to begin with. I, 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 had never, I never actually went to a dealer and purchased a car. I didn't know how to deal with it. I, I, I thought they were going to take the best out of me. I just remember I was so nervous. And I showed up. And this amazing person, you know, salesperson came to me and she was trying to help me out through everything. And I remember that I went home. It took me two days to purchase a car. I was trying to evaluate things. I was trying to make sure that I was going to pay what it was worth. And 
all of those things. And I remember I had a lot of questions. And she told me, hey, you can text me anytime. I will try to help you as much as I can. I was like, thank you so much. And I remember texting all these questions to her. And she would reply almost in a matter of seconds. I was like, whoa, this is amazing. And I remember I went back so excited. I, I, I was so excited because I'm such a relational person. You can win me over. I don't care about the car. You already won me over by texting me back at 6, 7 p.m. And I remember that um, I purchased the car. She was like, congratulations. Thank you so much. I was so excited about my first car. And I remember I left. Next day, I had a question. I was like, oh, but how about this? And I remember texting her. I was like, boom. And no response. And I waited, 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 and no response. And I felt hurt. You know, like, you just used me. This was just a transactional thing for you. You know, like I was so hurt because I was like, you won me over. And then now that you get what you want, you don't reply to me. You don't text me back. You don't respond to my question. So I remember being in that place, being hurt because my salesperson didn't reply to me after I purchased the car. It was such a transactional thing for her. You know, it's so funny, but I do believe we live in a culture, it's such a transactional culture nowadays. That the only way we actually would interact with someone sometimes or we would only do things for someone is if we can get something back from them. And we, we will only support if we can benefit from it. And I think Jesus came to disrupt that. Because in the time of Jesus, the religious system was so transactional that they were no longer relational. And Jesus comes and disrupts that. And I believe this moment right now, and which is read and marked, it's such a relational peace. It's such a relational peace because it's not the most comfortable moment to be having dinner at someone's house. See, what I believe is that Jesus always finds a way to turn the ordinary transactional moments into extraordinary memorable experiences. He always did that. Always. And I believe that, that, that this, this is an indicator also of the preference of Jesus of hanging out with outsiders often. See, scholars point out something very interesting. That this is a moment that shows contrast between two dark moments. One, they plotting to kill Jesus. And then the other side, by the end of the chapter, is when Judas betrays Jesus. And this has happened in the middle of those two. This sandwich thing right now will happen between two dark moments. See, some of us, if I'm honest, if, if I would, that was me, if I'm experiencing at least one of those two things, I'm, I'm out. I'm not doing anything. I'm just consumed by the darkness, and I won't actually connect with anyone. But Jesus finds a way to live in the tension all the time. He knows how to live in the tension between the, the adversity and calamity he won't allow the dark moments to lead and dictate how he lives his time and his life at all. See, even when disaster and grief seem to dominate and consume and overtake Jesus' life, he, not, he doesn't allow that to lead the way. He actually makes himself available 
to the opportunity to cultivate a life-given moment. Because this moment is not manufactured in the most conventional place, family. This is not manufactured in the most conventional and in the most comfortable and the most convenient place in life. But even when someone else is plotting his death, there's someone else that is cultivating and becoming a host of a beautiful moment. And that's Simon the leper. See, many times we, when we read this story, we, we automatically go to the woman or Jesus. Oh, yes, what happened with this woman? Oh, what happened with Jesus? But we forget the one who hosts the whole thing. That's Simon the leper. It's his house. The, he is the one who made this happen. He creates the space. He makes room to make this happen. And I know before you, you tell yourself, oh, you want me to be Simon the leper? Before you dis, disregard this comment, before you disqualify yourself from like, well, I'm not him. Because if I'm quite honest, sometimes I'm better plotting death and life. I'm very critical. I'm very cynical about things. That comes more naturally to me, actually. And I know I'm not the only one. But before you disqualify yourself, I understand. Maybe some of us, we never seen it. We don't have a point of reference of how to create beautiful moments for other people. Because we didn't see it in our family. We didn't see it with our friends. So we don't know. We don't, we don't even know if we have the resources to do that. And to that, I tell you, I hear you. But let's go to Simon the leper for a moment. See, he's remembered with his, thing, with his sickness next to his name, Simon the leper. The sickness that kept him isolated for so long. The sickness that kept him excluded from the opportunity to build friendships in a normal social life is next to his name. And Peter and Mark decide, hey, the way we're going to remember this man is by putting his sickness Next to his name, through the most cell book in humanity. See, Simon the leper behind it becomes a host of one of the last dinners that Jesus has when that Jesus had without with an outsider. And this man carries his sickness, the sickness that brought shame for so long, next to his name. This man could have said, you know what, I do not want to create anything for Jesus or for anyone else because my reputation might affect that. He could have said, I don't want to do this. But see, he didn't allow that to rob the opportunity to create something. See, sometimes we think if we just have everything in place, if I'm in the right season, if I have the right resources, if I'm in the right mental health, I will create something. I will create a life, life-giving experiences. We tell ourselves that. You know, I, I've been around a lot of people, great, beautiful people, good people. But also I've been around very evil people. Very evil. And you know what I notice about evil people? Those are one of the most assertive people that I know. And more confident people that I know. See, evil people... Don't wake up a day and say, you know what, today I'm not going to act on what I feel because I'm not in the right season. Today I just don't feel it's the right time for me to actually act. They don't hesitate as much. Because what they believe, whatever they're going to do is going to have an impact. I believe that many of us would identify with Jesus, we hesitate a lot more than them. See, even early in my journey with Jesus... 
I came into a crossroad in my life. Either I was going to allow my inconsistencies, my brokenness to paralyze me, or I was going to allow myself to give everything to Jesus, even when things were not in the right place in the right season, and create, create, and create. See, I remember I was talking to Abby the other day, and we were making fun of, you know, how I came into a season in the church where they would do skits, uh, drama, some, some, something like that, you know. Like, I remember, I, I love storytelling, and I remember I was impacted by it. I didn't, some, now that I look back into some of those dramas, I'm like, whoa. Like, a lot of demons happening, you know. Like, I don't know how people didn't get scared. But anyways, I remember being impacted by the storytelling of skits and dramas. And I remember that I went to seminary, and I was so impacted by it that I, I, I created a team in seminary. I put some people together and I was like, we're going to create dramas and skits and we're going to do all of these things. You know, I was so motivated to do it. Now that I look back to my storytelling, I'm like, eh, what it was, eh, that was, nah, you know, not satisfied with that. But I remember that the team each semester kept growing and growing and growing. And, and, and one of the things my desire was not just to create skits, it was to create a family, to connect them with each other, to tell each other stories and to pray for one another and to create beautiful and amazing space. And that kept growing to the point that this team became the number one avenue to bring people into the school. They start traveling all over the state, other states, not just California, but other states in, in, the, in the country. They went to events, conferences, and people wanted to come to school just to be part of that team. It was crazy. It was, I, I was, I didn't plan for it. One time I had almost half of the school doing a skit. Ridiculous. But simultaneously to that moment, I was struggling with my faith. At the same time that all of that was happening, I remember my parents calling me and saying, why are you doing with your life? Why are you in that school? Just come back home. Come and work, do something else. Through that same Time, I remember that I was struggling with some unhealthy patterns and behaviors that they were costing me almost not being at school. I told you this before, this should have kicked me out every semester. And in that moment, I had to take a decision. Am I going to allow this to stop me from creating or am I going to just trust my creator with this and create this space for people that it seems that it's needed? See, Simon the leper became the host for someone like this woman. If this woman would have done that in a synagogue or in a temple, she could have got killed or stoned. Dead. Right? But she was able to be in the home of someone like Simon the leper that created this space. It was Simon's initiative and resources and, and, and in relation to equity that he had with Jesus to make this moment happen. That even though it became more about the woman and about Jesus, it was Simon's generosity that created this space. There's a book that I came across a couple of weeks ago called Unreasonable Hospitality. This is a great book. You should, you should read it. It's, it's amazing. And the author is, uh, he owns... One of the top restaurants in the globe. It's in New York, 
has four stars for the ones who know all of this. The New York Times put it out there for one of the best restaurants in New York. And he wrote a book about hospitality. And he shares how people do not like to collect things as much anymore. They collect experiences, he says. And it's our opportunity or even our responsibility to create memories over and over and over again such that they can become experiences worth collecting. See, one of the most memorable stories in the book, and probably everybody knows him for this, is he tells the story of a hot dog. You know, I'm going to chop this story up, so I'm not doing a favor to the story, but hopefully you read it. And he tells the story of one of the days he was helping the waiters clean one of the tables. And he overheard a couple next to him in another table saying that they were so excited. They were about to finish their trip to New York. They went to their favorite restaurants and they were finishing their whole tour there. And as they were exchanging and celebrating, one of them said, you know what, but we didn't try it. It was a hot dog from New York. So this man goes to the street and goes and buys what he calls a, a dirty water hot dog from New York. Two dollar. He brings it back to the restaurant and he convinced some way somehow his chef to actually prepare it and, you know, in a nice way. And he brings him to the cup and he tells him, hey, we're so excited that you're here. I don't want you to have any culinary regrets, so here's your hot dog. And they were amazed and astonished by the action. And he said, I couldn't bring them the most expensive plate that I have. There's a duck that I prepare for two weeks before I serve it. I could have brought that thing for them and it couldn't make the same impact that that $2 hot dog make in that moment. So it's not about wealth or having a lot. He says that every person wants to be seen and heard. So for that, I have one question for you. What do you do naturally that you feel, that you make people feel seen? And maybe you do that without even thinking about it. Maybe you're really good at hosting people. You're really great at cooking and, and preparing something for people. Maybe you're really good at, at affirming and celebrating people. Maybe, I don't know. Where are, what do you do naturally that other people feel seen by you? And I will say, do that. Create that. Ride that. That is probably the way to do it. And maybe you're in a season of life that you're, you don't know. You're trying to figure it out. And I will say, find someone that is already doing something that makes other people feel seen. Find someone else. I promise, do not allow not knowing to stop you and paralyze you from actually creating and doing something. The second part of this, I want to... Switch gears with this for a, for a little bit, and I'm almost done, I promise. There's something important about this woman that I want to address. She also didn't waste the opportunity that was created by Simon. Do you notice that? She expressed it through a sacrifice. See, as a side note, see, many of us, we find ourselves sometimes in the middle of someone creating something that that is bringing us life and, and we know we can cultivate our life and, and, and our faith and everything. And we are in the middle of the whole thing. And we miss it sometimes because it's too costly or requires a sacrifice from us. And friends, 
may I suggest the sacrifice is part of life. If you want to create something meaningful in life, sacrifice needs to be part of the question. The most meaningful things that I get to do in my life is my marriage. And guess what? I sacrifice. Being a father, I sacrifice. Being a pastor, I still sacrifice, believe it or not. The most meaningful things in life require sacrifice. And if we don't build in, in, in around our lives that this is required sometimes, we will miss beautiful things that God wants to entrust us in life. She didn't waste her opportunity. And notice something else. She acts more like a disciple than the disciples themselves. Actually, the disciples get upset about it. They get mad about it. See, in a world of limited resources where we always calculate, is this worth it? Jesus sees that act as an act of service and sacrificial love. See, in one hand, you have this woman pouring out something so valuable that, can make the, that could make a difference in someone else's life. And on the other side, you have the disciples upset and critical about how she handled her resources. You have two things happening at the same time. And may I say that I can see a point in both of them. See, Jesus does not condemn the disciples because they want to feed the, the poor people. He, that's not a problem. And I believe that Jesus is inviting us to what we call here in, in Discovery a contemplative activist. See, a contemplative activist is an individual that cultivates an inner life with the kingdom of God that overflows an hour of expression of service. You understand that both are important. You know why? Because Jesus always lived a paradoxical life. It's not one or the other. I don't believe that she was wrong or, he, or the disciples were wrong. I believe that that moment, that what was needed in that moment. See, I'm going to make it complicated for you, okay? There's something that we need to develop in our lives. And that is discernment. See, discernment, the way to evaluate. Let me give you what I mean by discernment. It's a way to evaluate the moment and make the adjustments to what is required in the moment. In other words, you recognize the need at the moment and you respond accordingly to that moment. See, the problem nowadays is that we throw statements that everybody's the same. And not everything and everybody's the same. See, the sermon helps us evaluate those things. See, many of us confuse our opinion with the sermon. Many of us confuse our, dis, our, our preferences with the sermon. Many of us confuse our viewpoint with the sermon. And it's not the same thing. You and I need to learn how to cultivate the sermon in our lives so that we can respond accordingly to what is needed to the moment. And I believe this woman respond to what was needed in the moment. Can I make it more mystical for you? And I promise I'm done with this one. This is my second time that I finish. See, the sermon is not a byproduct of knowledge. The sermon is a byproduct of relationship. See, in my relationship with my wife, I have learned how to 
cultivates like, like a way to respond to her need immediately. Like I know by the way she looks at me what she needs in the moment or what she's feeling against me, you know. I know that with the way she, her posture, I have learned how to anticipate her needs. And this is, does not come because I know that she's 5'2", green eyes, and she's smart. This has come because I have cultivated a relationship with her for more than a decade. See, discernment does not come from knowledge. It comes from a relationship. And in your, your, your relationship with others and in your relationship with God, you can cultivate this so that you learn how to evaluate the moments and what is required in the moment. Family, if Christians were more in tune with this sermon, let me tell you, we won't hear that many messed up opinions. Friends, we need discernment. See, according to Jesus, this gift, this gift right there was appropriate for the moment. And it's not that one or the other was the right thing to do. Both of them were the right thing to do. But one was, was needed for the moment. So as we close, I'm going to invite the band to come back. This is my invitation to you today. What do you think in the season of your life is required from you? What is needed from you right now? Maybe it's, it's a time to really evaluate your own life and think through what is required from me. Maybe you're in front of like five different good options. Maybe you're in front of different opinions of people. And maybe all of them sound great. But my invitation to you, my challenge to you is can you discern which one is needed from you right now? See, when I came to Discovery, I remember that uh, when I was in the process of, of getting hired and be part of Discovery of the pastoral team, one of my questions to, to Pastor Steve was, hey, what if, um, because I, I live such a fast-paced fast life, I told him, hey, what if um, there's a lot of other opportunities that come my way to go speak somewhere other places? He told me this very kindly. He was like, we talk about that one once it gets here. But after I had that conversation with him, there's something that I felt came to my life. And it was this idea that I needed to slow down. That I needed a different pace in my life. That I knew how to run fast and consistently. But I didn't know how to run, how to walk slow and release control in my life. And family, I know some of you guys are feel comfortable walking slow. That's fine, all of us. Maybe you guys are really good at having a fast-paced life. Great. That was challenging for me. My wife, you know, poor thing. She has seen this whole process in my life. And even though I can do one or the other. I felt in my soul that that was required for me in this season of my life. And it has been hard. It has been difficult. Because I can tell myself that's not me. 
But do I want to live a life that is only one way of doing things or do I want to be versatile in the way I live life? And I think the invitation from God is both. You can be versatile. You can be going one way or the other. What is required from you this season is a question you need to answer. And please, hear me out. I was just sharing with my friends. For 19 years of my life, I allowed darkness, my own brokenness, my own inconsistencies to lead my way. Now, now, I'm going to allow hope and beautiful and wonderful and wonder to lead the way. Even in dark moments, even with everything seems to be against me, that is not going to dictate how I live my life. I'm going to feel whatever I have to feel. And I'm going to allow myself to feel, but nonetheless, that is not the driver. So today, this is my invitation to you, family. One, what is that you do really good and naturally to feel other people seen? And the other part is, maybe what is required from you in this season as we keep moving forward? We're going to take a moment to have a moment of communion to respond to the sacrifice of Jesus. And there's different places that you can come and grab the elements. Please feel free. We're going to have a moment of worship and then we're going to keep going with this.